All right, so Genesis chapter 22, guys. I'm going to start in verse 6. I'm going to read through 14. And here's the story. God, uh, as we have studied over the last few weeks, um, God picked a guy named Abram. And he said, hey, Abram, I want to do something really special with you, but I need you to move. And uh, I need you to move now. And Abram's like, where are we going? Actually, he doesn't say that. He just packs up and he leaves. And he follows God. He trusts God. And God says to this guy, Abram, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Okay? And, and of course, Abram, when that happens, he's like 75. Uh, now, it's a little later. He didn't have a son until he's like 99. Um, he's kind of an old guy. And, and so, so God's working. And, and he calls him now Abraham. And so God then calls Abraham to do something crazy. He says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your one and only son Isaac, the one that I promised you, and the one through whom all of the things that I've told you I would do for you are going to come. Okay, He's basically saying, I want you to sacrifice the promise, Abraham. And that's where we are in Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse 6. Uh, it says, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, and he placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and he said to his father, Abraham, Hey, father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and he arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over, and he took the ram, and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Three things I want to share with you this morning. Here's the first. I just want you to see this morning that our God is provider. That's that's who he is. That's who he is. Last week, we talked about some of the great fears uh, in life. And of course, one of those is finances. We talked about how those apply to our our situation um, as a body. But this is one of the great truths. If you came here this morning and maybe you're going through something in life where you're struggling and you're worried about money and you're not sleeping well, maybe there's something keeping you up at night, you need to understand this, that the the office of provider is already filled, right? The title of provider has already been handed out and it's not you. It's not your job, right? Our God is provider. That's who he is. And so, so, so Abraham, God shows up and says, hey, I want you to go make a sacrifice. I want you to sacrifice your only son, the one through whom all the blessings are going to flow. I want you to go take him up on Mount Moriah and you're going to sacrifice him to me. Now, you need to know that Isaac's not like a young little lad at this point because Abraham puts all the wood on his back, okay? So he's, he's a pretty well-off-to-do guy. And, and not only that, we know he's thinking. He's like, hey, Dad, wait a second. Hold on. So I'm carrying all the wood. You're all scary over there with a knife and, and fire, you know, and here I am, and you just look freaky. And, and wait, where's the lamb? Like, where's, where's that? And his dad says, well, son, it's okay. God is going to provide the lamb. God's going to do that. Let's just get on up the mountain. He gets up the mountain, and then he's, I, I don't know what that moment was like. I don't know if he just looked at him and said, oh, son, by the way, you're the lamb. Now come here and let me tie you up. That's what happens. So he binds his son, he lays him down. Of course, then God, uh, God, God stops him. He says, now I know that you fear me. 
And, and look over here, and in the thicket, there's a ram. Now, here's the deal. On that day, you guys have heard of object lessons, right? They're, they're, they're like things in real life that really happen to us, and, and they're hands-on, you're in the midst of it, experiences, and they change you, right? Some of the greatest lessons we learn in life are object lessons. They're, they're when we're, we're getting our hands dirty, we're in the middle of something, and, 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 and we, we're, we're taught something. God does something for Abraham here that is actually going to change generations of people. He reveals a portion of his character to Abraham that Abraham did not understand before. And on this day, God teaches Abraham that he is a God that provides. That he is a God that provides. And so Abraham, in response, he does something amazing. He actually names the mountain. He gives the mountain the name of God that, he, that God has just revealed to him, that God is provider. And he calls that mountain a place called Jehovah-Jireh. Jehovah-Jireh. And in the Hebrew, it means God provides or God will provide. It literally reads in Hebrew, the God who sees... Or the God who sees and meets my every need. And Abraham does something really cool. He says, listen, Isaac, you're the promise. Future generations are going to come through you, through the promise. And I want all the future generations to understand this truth about God that you and I learn today. Our God is a God that sees us, that knows us, that knows our needs, that is able to provide, and that always provides for our needs. That's who God is. That's who God is. And so, friends, I would just say to you, I don't, I don't know what situation you're walking through in life. You know, I have that saying, that sometimes you're in the ditch. <laughs> sometimes you're, the waves are coming alongside and you just feel like you're never going to get out of the storm. And maybe that's where you are. But I, I want you to understand that we serve a God who sees you. And he knows what you're going through. And hear me, he has the power, the ability, and the will to provide for your needs. Okay? That's who our God is. He is provider. Not just he provides, he is provider. It's who he is. It's his unchanging nature that he's provider. Okay? So leads us to the second thing. I want you to see this. God, our provider, provides for himself so that he will be glorified and so that we will be blessed. God provides for himself so that he will be glorified and we will be blessed. Uh, how many of you have either been a child, had a child, or currently have children? Raise your hand. If you're not listening, keep your hand down because you didn't. You're raising, you have either been a child at some point, you've had children. Right? That's all of us, by the way, because we're all living and breathing. Okay, So um, we learn this about kids pretty early on. We tend to think, like as children, uh, anybody ever been there or, or your kids are there right now, they think that they are the center of the universe. Amen? All right? Been there. Yep. Everything revolves around me. Some of you parents, you're, 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 you can barely keep your eyes open right now because unfortunately that's the truth. You're letting everything revolve around them. You're running around to sports and this and that. And you know, sometimes we just got to say, I'm sorry, baby. The whole earth doesn't revolve around you. Right? Go back to science class. There's a thing called the sun, and you are not it. Um, just saying. Just saying. Right? I mean, come on, guys. Our galaxy isn't even the center of the universe. Like, you really can't control everything. So, so, right, so, so we have this problem. We kind of think it's all about us. But this is, this is one of the great truths that we learn in the Bible. God does provide for us. He does. But first and foremost, he actually provides for himself. 
And then we're blessed through that. And so I want to show it to you, Genesis 22, 8. In the NIV, it read something like this. Abraham answered his son. Isaac's like, hey, where's the lamb going to come from? And he answers his son. He says, hey, listen, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. Now, that's the New International Version, which is a thought-for-thought translation. And and that is is true. That statement is completely true. God will provide the lamb. And, And he does. God does, right? But if we actually look at the original language, the Hebrew, um, it, it, the, the, the word structure is a little different. The word order is a little different. It actually has a big deal here in this passage. So this is the ESV, which is a, uh, it is a word-for-word translation, not a thought-for-thought. And, and it actually puts the word order correct. It, it says, God will provide, look at that, for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. Not just God himself will provide, but rather God himself will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. That's, that, that, that's crazy. That kind of changes things. And, and, and God is going to do this. Think, think about why God did right? I mean, and, just, and if you don't believe me, just think through this. Who was the offering for? Was it for Abraham? Was it for Isaac? No, the offering was for, for God, right? And, and, and then Abraham says, God is going to provide for himself. The, the lamb, for himself, God's going to do it. Why would God do that? Well, what does the name of the mountain become? The Lord provides. For, for, for generations to come to this day, according to our text, this mountain is still called the Lord provides. Because on this mountain, God revealed a part of his character that was previously unknown to men. A part of his character that nobody had like written down and said, that's the deal. God is always provider. That's who he will always be. And from this day, at this moment, what God did in this time in history is forever remembered. God brought glory to himself by providing the lamb and by proving that he is a God that provides. So it starts there. God provides so that he will be glorified. And, and what happens as a result? Abraham is blessed. Isaac is blessed because he gets to keep breathing, you know. It's kind of a big deal. It's a big deal. We've been studying uh, the Exodus from Egypt the last few weeks, right? So let me ask you this question. Why did God set his children free from the hands of Pharaoh in the first place? Did he set his children free because, you know, they're his kids and he loves them and he just wants to bless them? Well, certainly. I mean, he loves them and he wants to bless them. I mean, it says this right here in Exodus 3, 7 and 8. The Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people. He's like, my children, I hear them. I've heard them crying out because they're slave drivers. Like, like God says, God of the universe, I'm concerned about their suffering. So he says, I have come down. Not like I just sent somebody, not like I just decided. I have come down, he says, to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and get this and to bless them and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. I mean, that's good stuff, right? So we read that and we go, okay, cool. So God saved them in order to bless them. Well, the problem is that's not the only reason he saved them. In fact, I would tell you that that's just a part of the story. You want to read the rest of the story, you've got to keep reading the Exodus account because this is what it says. Exodus 3.12, and God said, I will be with you, speaking to Moses, and, and this is going to be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. You'll do what? You're going to worship God. I'm saving them so they can worship me. Don't believe it? Let's keep going. Exodus 4, 22. And then, say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go so he may 
Worship me. We'll just keep on going. Exodus 7, 16. We'll just go to the last uh, little bit so you guys get it pretty quick here. So let them go. Let my people go so they may worship me in the wilderness. Keep going. Exodus 8, 1. Let my people go so they may worship me. Let's keep going. Exodus 8, 20. This is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. We're 9, 1. And then this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. Keep going. 9, 13. This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so that they may worship me. And then 10.3, so Moses and Aaron, they went to Pharaoh and they said to him, this is what the Lord God of Hebrews says, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go so that they may worship me. You see, God provided freedom for his children to bring glory to himself and to bless them. He delivered them so that they could worship him and that they could be blessed. It reminds me uh, quite a bit of uh, 2 Samuel. If you want to turn there, I'm just going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, that's before First and Second Kings and Chronicles. So 2 Samuel chapter 7. And uh, I'll set it up for you as you turn there. 2 Samuel chapter 7. David wants to build a temple for the Lord. A, a church basically. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Um, so he wants to build a church for the Lord. I think it's applicable. And uh, so 2 Samuel chapter 7 starting in verse 1. It says, After the king was settled in his palace, uh, the Lord had, that the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. And he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a palace of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, well, whatever you have in mind, man, go ahead and do it because the Lord is with you. But then that night, the Lord speaks to Nathan, the prophet. And uh, it says this in verse 4, that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I haven't dwelt in a house from the day that I brought the Israelites out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Whatever I have moved uh, with the Israelites, did I, whenever I have moved with the Israelites, did I ever say to the rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, you go tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be my ruler over my people. I have been with you wherever that you have gone, and I have cut off all of your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth, and I will provide a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home and will no longer Wander and then skip down with me to the end of verse 11. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. See, the story is that David wanted to build a house for God. And God says, um, I think you have our roles confused. You're not going to build a house for me. I am going to build a house for you. It's a big deal, isn't it? a big deal, isn't it? And friends, this is one of those truths that we need to understand. God provides for himself so that he will be glorified and that we will be blessed. All right? The office of provider is claimed. God has it. We don't need to try to set ourselves up in it. God is provider, which brings us to the last thing. How does God provide? Last thing I would tell you this morning is that God provides through what I'm going to call blessing and burden. God provides through blessing and through burden. 
And, and, and really, if you're going to ask the question, how does God provide, the answer we can't fit into one Sunday morning together, right? God provides in such a massive multitude of ways that we truly cannot uh, come up with every way that he has ever provided for his people. We would be here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. I kind of think that's what worship is about, by the way. Um, but, but God, he, he is constantly provided in a million different ways. But, but for the sake of simplicity, I'm going to break it down into two probably way oversimplified categories. I'm going to call them blessing and burden. Now, under blessing, I want you to understand that God is creator, okay? We, we get this, right? But how many of you, when you hear God is creator, you tend to think that means he made everything a long time ago? Be honest. Come on. I'm in church. Creator means he made everything a long time ago, okay? Creator means he still has the power to make things today, okay? And so when I say that God provides through blessing, I mean to tell you that God has the power to make blessing, to pr- make provision out of nothing, God still possesses that power. God can increase your crop. He can increase your flock. He can increase your salary, your home value, your 401k. God God can do that out of nothing. You don't believe it. Have one really old cow out there with a whole bunch of, you know, old bull out there with a whole bunch of other, all of a sudden you you turn around, you're like, oh my gosh, we have 17 and a half calves. Where's the half? Well, we got to get the other half out, but we're going to have 18 calves. It's coming. Out of nowhere, God can do that, right? I mean, he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. God has the ability still at, from this moment to make things out of nothing. So God provides blessing. I, I, I think of it this way. The, the time that the temple was rebuilt, the second temple, uh, right? So, so Jerusalem has been ransacked. The temple has been destroyed. The people have gone off into captivity. And, and they want to return home and they want to rebuild the temple so that they can worship God, so that they can glorify him. But they have nothing. Everything that they possessed had been plundered. Everything had been taken from them. They're captives. And so what does God do? He knows their hearts. He wants to give them the desire of their hearts because that's who God is. And so God changes the hearts, a heart of a pagan king and the pagan king pays for the temple to be rebuilt. Blessing, right? Blessing. And friends, God has the power to still do that. And he still does that on a regular basis. If you were to go through your life and think of all the blessings that you've received from the Lord, God provides for you and, and, and blessing after blessing after blessing. So, so that's one way that God provides is through blessing. The second way that I would say that God provides, again, hugely oversimplifying that process, but would be through what I call burden. And think of this as like personal responsibility. Okay, so blessing directly from his hand, burden uh, involves some use of your hands, right? And, and, and so when, when the first uh, temple, the mobile one, the tabernacle was built, think about how that was built, right? Moses said to the people, God has spoken to me. Remember, I was up on the mountain for a long time and you fools down here made a golden calf. I'm going to destroy that and make you drink it. That was an awesome milkshake. And, and, and so, so then afterwards, right, he says, God has told me what he wants. He wants us to worship him. And we better build this temple now because you fools are about to destroy us all. And, and so here's what I need. I need you to go and I need you to bring to me, you know, purple and fine linen and gold and silver. And it says, this is crazy. They brought so much stuff that Moses actually had to say, please stop bringing stuff. We've got more than enough to build. Now, that is every pastor's hope for a building campaign right there, right? Like, no, you guys have brought so much that we can't even do it. Like, that's awesome. That was the best building campaign in the history of building campaigns right there, Moses. And they're in the wilderness, for crying out loud. So, I'm just saying, just get ready. Um, so, it, good stuff, right? Now, 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 they gave. Now, Solomon's temple, the, the first temple, same thing. David gave greatly. And then the people came and they sacrificed. I think about Nehemiah. Do you remember the story of Nehemiah? Nehemiah comes back and he has a great desire to rebuild Jerusalem and its walls lie in ruin. And so Nehemiah has this, this, this great vision from the Lord. 
And instead of hiring foreign laborers to come and to build the wall, he contacts basically all the families of Jerusalem, and he assigns each family their own section of the wall to build. Each family is responsible for a gate or a section of wall. And and slowly, the walls around Jerusalem are erected because every family did their part. Now listen, some families had really big, expensive gates to put up, right? And other families just had some brick and mortar. It's not about everybody giving the same amount. It's about equal sacrifice. Equal sacrifice. And and, and that's what we see in the Bible. And so God still gives these ways. He still gives today, uh, or provides today, through blessing and, and, and through burden. Okay, those things are biblical concepts. So what does that exactly mean for us in our current uh, facility, in our current situation? Um, and so I, I want to talk to you briefly about the building, and then um, we're going to do a little Q&A today, which is different from you guys. But we're going to come up, and I'll introduce some people. Uh, but, but last week, we talked about fears, and I think one of the biggest fears in the room had to do with cost. Okay? We showed you a cost, and we said this new building that you see, this beautiful thing over here, it's going to take, it's going to cost about three point five to three point nine million dollars to build. That's a real for some people that is a giant. That is, remember there are always giants in the Promised Land. By the way, if this is your first Sunday with us, that's where giants live. They live in the Promised Land, um, so they're always giants. So for some of you, that is a huge number. Others, you know, construction, you're like that ain't nothing. It's going to cost more than that, right? But 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 here's the deal. Here's the deal. I, I want to I tell you, uh, we believe God is going to provide through both blessing and burden. And so uh, let me show you a little chart. And we're going to give you a gift. You don't have to try to draw this. We're going to actually give you something that has this chart printed out. Um, but people ask, well, ha- Pastor, how do you think this is going to be paid for? And, and our, our, our first response is this. Ready? We ain't going to build God a church. Okay? You can even use that grammar. I know it's terrible, right? We're not gonna do, we are not going to build a church for God. Here's our, our overarching belief. We believe that God is going to build a church for us. Okay, that, we're gonna, that God is going to build a church where He and His name are, are going to be proclaimed, where He is going to be worshipped, where He is going to be blessed, and we're going to be the benefactors of that, and we're going to receive that blessing. So first and foremost, I'm going to tell you, I believe wholeheartedly this building is going to be paid for by God. Okay, And I I, I can say that to you unequivocally. We're not trying to make things up. We honestly believe that God is going to show up. And and when he does, he's going to radically transform our lives because we're going to understand Jehovah Jireh. We're going to get it. And I think generations in this city are going to be changed because we get it. Okay, So we start there. How does he provide? Blessing and burden, right? One of the greatest blessings we think we have right now is our current facility. Completely paid for. We own the whole block. We own this building. Had it appraised about two years ago. It was appraised at $1.8 million. Okay? We have not listed it up for sale, but at some point, right now, from what we feel like God has, has shown us. Now listen, God, these three things can all change. It could be two out of three. It could be more one than the other. But, but these three ways we kind of see could happen, right? And one of them is the sale of the facility. This facility is worth about $1.8 million, okay? So that's that big red thing. God could use that to provide. He could use that blessing, right? Uh, the little green part there, it says sacrificial giving. And again, burden. There's going to be family responsibility, I'll be honest to you, I think we're going to look at you as a family and say, hey, we're going to ask you just to go pray about it. We're not going to bring in somebody outside and and, and have some outsider come in and guilt us into filling out a pledge card. and That's just not who we are. We're going to say, you and Jesus, go get in your prayer closet and pray about how how you what you think your job is. What part of the gate are you supposed to build? 
And you do that. And if you do that faithfully, God's faithful, right? He's going to take care of the rest. And so, so, so some of that's going to be sacrificial giving. And again, our goal is about $900,000. It's about $300,000 a year over a course of three years. We've already got a little over $100,000 in the bank. So it'd be about a million dollars in cash, okay? And then that last part, if, if, if we built a $3.5 million building and we sold this for $1.8 million, it'd be about $700,000 left. And we would probably take that in sacrificial or in um, strategic debt. A strategic debt, meaning that we would, we would take out a loan like we did on the land. We took out a five-year land loan, but we, the Lord provided, and that was paid off very quickly. And we say that, that may be necessary because we know that inflation is coming. We know that construction costs are rising. So as long as it's strategic, now we're not going to turn around tomorrow and go, let's borrow $3.5 million. <laughs> That's not going to happen. It's not going to happen because we believe God is calling us to make a sacrifice, okay? So, so that's, that's the, the story of how we feel like God might provide. And what might he provide for? We had a couple last pictures that we wanted to show you. And, uh, and I'll start with this one. When we talk about a, a, new, a new sanctuary and a new facility, you know, one of the big things is we want to be a light to the world uh, and we want to be alike to Elgin, and, and we want to have more room to do things. And so what this is is really a picture of that sanctuary space uh, that has the ability to seat 600 people. 600 people. That, that, that's, that's a lot more families than we're currently able to reach. Uh, and, and just an example, it has a baptistry in it. Uh, it is a room that's set up for worship. Yes, those are chairs. Uh, that's a flat uh, concrete floor. We can get into some other details there. But the, one of the things we love about that room is it has the ability to transform and to turn into this. And that's a fellowship hall that then can seat 400 people around tables. Okay, eight per table. Plus, we have a gorgeous hallway that has all that overflow. All those things, and again, we believe that God's going to provide for this thing so that, as we'll talk about next week, we can be a light to the city of Elgin. So 